so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Because I got my plosive, my plosive, plosive preventer on. It doesn't prevent plosives for passionate people. <laughs> passionate poppers. That's hilarious. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and today, Brent Leatherwood is actually a little under the weather, as am I, so I hope I don't cough in your ear. Uh, So I am so excited that we have joining us our acting director of policy, Chelsea Patterson Sogolik. Welcome, Chelsea. I am glad to be here, and I'm so sorry that you and Brent are not feeling well. It's just the colds are going around, and if you have little kids, you just stay cold forever. Stay cold forever. You, if you have little <laughs> kids, you stay sick forever because they are little petri dishes. So I we're glad. That. I'm glad it's not anything more severe for me. And uh, today is going to be a legit office ladies episode. Office ladies, to- yes, different than the other office ladies. If y'all have, as listeners, have heard about it, but this is a ERLC office ladies episode, and we are excited about it. So let's go ahead and get into what we've got going on for the week. And I'm going to start off with the articles that we've been featuring at ERLC.com. First up, we have an interview by Jordan Wooten. It's titled, How the Grace of Jesus Enables Us to Say No to Pornography, an interview with Ray Ortland on the death of porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. That last part is the title of the latest book that he has written. Ray Ortland is a pastor. He is a pastor's pastor, has a generous, gracious, grateful, positive Christ-centered heart that you will pick up on on Twitter or if you know him in person. That is not; those are not unnecessarily superlatives describing him. He is he and his wife Janie are just an incredible couple. He has written this new book, and in this book, his characteristic optimism shows through. He talks about how we can say no to pornography. We can see the death of the pornography industry. We can uphold and celebrate and live out the dignity of each and every person that has found themselves a victim of pornography from the user to one who is being abused on the as a pornography actor because we know that it, it is just horrible for especially these women who are the actors in the midst of pornography and Uh, But he says that we can say no to this because of the grace of Jesus. He is the one who has defeated death and the enemy. How much more can he help us to defeat this pornography industry? How much more can he help us to say yes to his ways and yes to the dignity of our fellow human beings? I think it's an important book 
we know that many Christians, sincere Christians who are walking with Christ, find themselves in the clutches of this. And so it's a very important book that Ray Ortland has said he hopes will just bring about revival. Next up, we have a piece by the president and CEO of Lifeline Children's Services, Herbie Newell, and it's titled, Three Ways Christians Can Remember the People of Haiti, Showing Generosity to a Joyful People Amid Tragedy. As you know, there are so many tough things going on in the world, and the people of Haiti are no strangers to that. They just endured an earthquake after they had experienced an earthquake in the past. They face poverty. They face so many tough things. They're facing COVID too. And with all the things going on in the world, it's easy to overlook Haiti in the midst of this devastation that they have experienced. Herbie points out how we need to not forget about them. And he points out three ways that we can be generous to them. And what he says is that we can be generous financially. There are lots of ways to give, and especially I want to highlight through Send Relief, the Southern Baptist Relief Agency that we are so proud to partner with and and so proud that it is a sister organization of ours. We can be generous emotionally and spiritually. We can pray for them and ask God for His grace and mercy to be shown to them. And we can be generous relationally. We can minister to the Haitian immigrants who are around us. We can develop relationships that will help support their community, help support churches there. Lifeline also has ways that they are ministering to the people of Haiti. So I would encourage you to visit their site, which you'll be able to find on this article. But just remember, in the midst of everything happening around us, let's not forget the people of Haiti. And then finally, we have a piece by O.S. Hawkins, and this continues to highlight our Baptist heritage and important figures and characters within Baptist life. This piece is titled, The Legacy of George W. Truett, Pastor, Builder, and Defender of Religious Liberty, and it's actually from a forthcoming book that he has. George W. Truett, if you don't know, lived in the 1800s, and he was the pastor of First Baptist Dallas. And as I was reading this article, I learned some things too, obviously, um, that were so encouraging. But he went to England and he preached during World War One, and he went actually to France and he preached. And then an incredible part of George W. Truett's legacy, which we have in this series learned about most of these Baptist figures, is his support of religious liberty. He had a famous address about religious liberty in 1920. And again, it it comes down to people having the sole liberty to be able to place their faith in Jesus Christ and not be coerced by the state because we want people to have a genuine saving faith in Jesus. And that's not something that can be forced upon them. Instead, that's something that they must choose. And, you know, there's a paradox there too. The the Lord must choose them and they must choose the Lord. And so uh, we want them to be able to have that liberty. And we're thankful that people have that liberty within this country. And we're thankful for George Truett's legacy in speaking to this as well. Lindsay, thank you so much for this roundup. I actually had not heard of George Truett, so I will uh, be sure to check that article out and be looking forward to that forthcoming book. I just wanted to make a special note on the article that Herbie wrote. I actually went to Haiti four or five years ago. I was working on Capitol Hill at the time, and my boss led a child welfare delegation down to Haiti, and we visited a few orphanages, which normally I don't recommend 
a ton of people just visiting orphanages because it can be quite traumatic to the kids to have new people coming in all the time. But it was a, a delegation of uh, congressional members and some folks from the State Department. And I had never been to a third world country before visiting Haiti. And it fundamentally changed a lot, the, the trajectory of some of my professional life, but just truly broke my heart for the people of Haiti. So I'm so thankful for uh, Herbie writing that article and sharing some ways that we can um, tangibly be helping the Haitians. I think one of the things, you know, I've worked on child welfare issues for a long time. I have a personal connection to the issue, but I've worked on on those issues professionally. And that trip deepened my understanding of those issues for example, in Haiti, um, a, lo- a lot of the kids who are in orphanages aren't really orphans. They are there because of poverty or some nefarious actors who, who basically came to families and said, you know, give us your children. We'll make sure they get a good education and we'll make sure they're taken care of. And then that could potentially be a pipeline to trafficking. Um, so I, just deepening my understanding of that issue to best be able to continue serving vulnerable kids domestically and abroad. And we actually met this one family who uh, their little boy uh, was placed into one of those orphanages run by people with uh, bad intentions and bad motives. And um, the family ended up getting their their child back because they were equipped to be able to care for him and have the the means and resources able to to care for him. So I think one of the things, um, you know, about caring for vulnerable kids abroad and intercountry adoption is um, looking to honor all parties involved. And um, of course, you know, there are some kids for whom having a safe, permanent and loving uh, family in their country of origin just won't happen. So that's when um, adoption out of the country is is helpful. But for for many uh, kids and families, they just need a little bit extra help and support and getting to see that on the ground. And it really helped deepen my understanding of, of that work. Well, Chelsea, I'm so thankful for your experience there because of how it has affected you. I'm thankful for your work with vulnerable children and for vulnerable children. Thankful for the insight that you can provide us and the heart that you have and that we get to work with you and have you on staff and and witness firsthand that work and your heart for that and how it influences others. And while we're covering so many other great things on our site, for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Now we want to transition into looking at what's happening in our culture this week. And Chelsea, you're taking the helm for Brent this week. So what's going on in our world? So I want to highlight three events that have happened in the past week that we want to make sure our listeners are aware of. Um, There has been a lot of news. It feels like almost hourly there's a a big event, but I'm going to highlight Afghanistan, um, a Texas abortion case uh, that actually kept some of us up to the wee hours of last night. And then finally, we're going to end by talking about Hurricane Ida. But first, with Afghanistan, on August 31st, the last American troops left Afghanistan. Uh, President Biden on Tuesday um, rejected criticism of his decision to end the 20-year-long war in Afghanistan. And he hailed it as a success, the evacuation of Kabul. But it's important to note that while the United States is no longer in Afghanistan, there are still um, a a couple hundred Americans 
still stranded in Afghanistan. And there are, um, I don't even know the number, but there are countless Afghan allies who aided the United States uh, government and military as translators and working alongside us during the war, um, who qualified for special immigrant visas and were left behind. Um, So we have done work highlighting the plight of those who aided us, but also those fleeing uh, persecution of the Taliban. Um, I've just heard some chilling stories coming out of Afghanistan of how the Taliban is uh, beginning to treat the people of Afghanistan. Also, within the past week or so, there was a terrorist bombing at the at Abbey Gate as people were going into the, the airport in Kabul, and 13 U.S. service members were killed uh, during that bombing. And just on a personal note, it was striking to me to see uh, how young all of the service members were. They were all in their early 20s. And one of the ones that just touched me very deeply. There was a female service member who just before had posted or just a couple of days before had posted on her Instagram. She was holding a baby and said, I love my job. And she was one of the ones who was killed. And just, I, I think it's, we, we can forget that, you know, there's a human cost and there are 13 families in the United States who won't have their, their kids anymore and just grieving that loss of life. So as we are, um, you know, continuing to watch what happens in Afghanistan, I just want to highlight the fact that we are continuing our advocacy for those folks who qualify for sexual immigrant visas and also those fleeing, um, persecution, uh, women and girls and also, uh, religious minorities. I've talked about this before, but our friends over at Open Doors produce a fantastic report every year highlighting persecution around the world for Christians. And Afghanistan is the second most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian, only um, behind North Korea. So I think, you know, as we are remembering or, or watching what's unfolding, we ought to to remember to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and also pray that people come to know Christ. I think it was actually, Lindsay, you may have mentioned this on the podcast, but I think it was Garrett Kell that that talked about praying for the Taliban. And that was just incredibly convicting to me because that is not the first thing I've been praying for, if I'm honest. So, yeah. And he mentioned that there might be another Lord, may there be another Saul in the midst of of the Taliban there. And uh, it is just a heartbreaking situation. I think a couple things are important to note that this is happening. President Biden delivered his remarks just shy of the 20-year anniversary of the September 11th attacks. And I'm not sure that anyone thought that this is exactly how it would go because we're going to we're going to remember the devastation in on September 11th 20 years ago. And we're going to remember in a way with a lot of heaviness on on our hearts because of the way that we have withdrawn from Afghanistan. The loss of those lives that you were mentioning, Chelsea, um, the Marines, I saw that same post about that girl who died, who was holding that baby, said she loved her job. I saw the, an interview with her dad. It was just heartbreaking. And he said, "I just, when I look at that picture, I see my baby and he's not going to be able to hold her again. And that's not the way that it had to have gone. And there is not a lot of, right now, bipartisan support for President Biden. I mean, it. there is a, a, a lot of disappointment and anger, I think rightfully so, in the way that this has, has been handled. I think also it's important to note that 
The State Department says that it has successfully evacuated more than 120,000 people, including 6,000 Americans. But at the same time, as you mentioned, Chelsea, one report suggests that as many as 175,000 individuals remain in the country. And many have said that President Biden remarking about this just seemed to be defiant. And instead of a more uh, remorseful or um, a somber tone, a defiant tone in the midst of those who have been left behind, those who effectively we have betrayed because they helped us and we're leaving them to their death, including the Americans who are still there, it's not going to be helpful for President Biden. It's definitely not helpful for the American people and the Afghanis who are so brokenhearted over this. I'm thankful for the ERLC's continued commitment to appeal to the administration to honor uh, its commitment to the Afghani people, to Americans. And Chelsea, I'm also thankful for your piece. You mentioned Afghanistan being a dangerous place for believers and a dangerous place for especially women and children. And you had a piece at National Review Online talking about this. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what it might be like for women and children now that there is no more American presence there in Afghanistan? Absolutely. So before uh, 2001, before the United States went in and liberated Afghanistan, women under the Taliban's rule were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to go to school. They were not even allowed to leave their house without a male chaperone. And while the Taliban has given lip service to uh, treating women differently under kind of Taliban 2.0, actions speak louder than words. And we have already seen reports of women in the country being told to go home from their professional jobs, of women um, not being able to leave the house without uh, male chaperones. So, And I think it's important to note, too, that there is a generation of young women who grew up that are in their late teens, early 20s, who grew up under freedom with the United States being there. Um, And they don't know life under the Taliban. They don't know what that oppression and persecution is like. Um, So I'll I'll be curious to see how they, how they handle uh, themselves and if they fight back and, and what that looks like. But I think too, as a Christian and as a woman, it's so important to highlight the plight of women around the world and especially women and girls in Afghanistan. And one of the points that you made in your article was about how Jesus defends women and how he upheld the dignity of women. And God in the Old Testament created laws that protected women in their vulnerable state. And so our God is a God who who advocates for women, who declares their worth, who respects them. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the way as Christians, we can encourage others to uphold the dignity of women. And I'm thankful for the way that you are pointing to those who are vulnerable, who are left behind in Afghanistan. And the other thing is, before we move on, it's just hard to imagine that this is somebody's reality. It feels like a movie, watching Mm -hmm. a movie. but It does, um, yeah. Yeah, that these women and and believers and others, other minorities there in Afghanistan, the terror that they're going to be living under just feels unreal. And I don't know, I I don't think it's going to be good news that we're going to be hearing out of Afghanistan here in the future. 
Lindsay, I think you are exactly right. And just a good reminder for us to pray and serve where we are able to. So transitioning uh, to the great state of Texas, late last night and also the night before, the justices of the Supreme Court denied to intervene um, to prevent Texas Senate Bill SB8, otherwise known as the Texas Heartbeat Act, from uh, taking effect. They did not do anything, so the law went into effect on September 1st. But late last night, the justices of the Supreme Court voted 5-4 to to officially deny this emergency appeal. So what is this case, what is it about, and why does this matter? So SB8, or the Texas Heartbeat Bill, um, prevents abortion from occurring after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which is usually between five to eight weeks. And um, a flurry of action happened over the past couple weeks and months, and a group of abortion providers sent the Supreme Court an emergency appeal asking them to prevent this law from going into effect. Again, the justices uh, denied to intervene and then officially denied that petition. There have been a number of heartbeat bills introduced around the country. Um, This is the first one that has actually gone into effect because most have gotten caught up in court. Um, The Texas legislature passed this into law as a part of a strategy not only to protect the lives of unborn babies um, in Texas, but as a kind of a a part of a bigger strategy to begin to undercut uh, the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It's important to note that this bill Unlike other heartbeat bills, um, the intent is similar to prevent abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected. However, this particular law takes on a novel legal approach to limiting abortion by tasking enforcement of the measure through private citizens. So essentially, the law allows for private citizens to bring a civil suit against any individual who performs or induces an abortion, or knowingly engages in aiding or abetting an abortion. It is also important to note that the pregnant woman who is seeking an abortion would not be penalized. It's only those who uh, are performing or aiding with the abortion, which is extremely important to note. So, In talking about this case, I think it's also important to highlight that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case entitled Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, a Mississippi ban on abortion at 15 weeks. Um, So Mississippi actually asked the court in their appeal to overturn Roe versus Wade um, and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So oral arguments for the Supreme Court begin in October, so we will definitely be paying attention to that. And this Supreme Court's actions on the Texas heartbeat bill are certainly a very interesting development. So how should Christians think about this? Every committed pro-life Christian wants abortion to um, be unthinkable and unnecessary. So as 
these laws are introduced and litigated in the courts, uh, Christians can and should be on the forefront of caring for vulnerable women and their preborn babies. Because this law is in effect in Texas, there will be many, many women who feel very scared and feel very vulnerable. And Christians get to meet those women in that moment and in that moment of crisis and demonstrate the love of God and share the good news of the gospel. Chelsea, thank you for that rundown. This is so confusing to me. I was texting with Brent and I was looking at our, we have a a Slack communication for us at the ERLC and we have a life channel that talks about all things life. And so people were talking about this. And so I was I was trying to watch it and I was like, wait, so this means what? So we did another explainer about um, a Senate Bill 8, but that was from 2017, not 2021. And so those were two different things. And I said, well, then told Brent, well, then they should be named something different, like SB8 colon 17, because this is just too confusing. So like you said, Chelsea, it is important that we celebrate any additional baby's life who is saved, a preborn life, unborn life. And it's amazing that their lives will be saved. I think it's important to note on social media, the rhetoric or the words that are being used, the way things are being painted by those on the pro-abortion, pro-choice side who you know, are, are making this about women's health and women's choice. And we do need to care for the women, like you mentioned, who are going to be scared and vulnerable, who are in um, dire economic situations and don't know where to turn and feel like they have to choose between a, an unborn baby's life and their next meal. And we actually have a, a piece on our site by Alex Ward about that this week. We have to be ready to meet these women and these families. And as Dr. Moore, our former president, Russell Moore has pointed out before and others have pointed out, if Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey are overturned, that doesn't mean that the pro-life work has ended, that we have completely won. That means it's just beginning because then abortions go back, legislation goes back to the states. So our work is just beginning because we have to meet these women, these vulnerable women where they are, and we have to help carry them along so that they will choose life. We have to make abortion, as many have said, an unthinkable decision in their lives. And so this means more work, but it's worthy work because it means lives will be saved. So we celebrate what has happened in Texas. But as you said, we have to remember, this doesn't mean the end of Roe versus Wade right now. The Supreme Court justices punted on ruling. They decided not to rule on this. So they did not rule on the merits of Roe versus Wade or Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So we will be watching the upcoming Dobbs case that you mentioned out of Mississippi. But this does maybe give an indicator that... Uh, as to how they will, will rule in that Dobbs case. And Chelsea, can you, being one who understands policy, can you explain why that is, why this has been a positive indicator for some on the pro-life side? Absolutely. So the court's decision um, not to intervene uh, essentially kind of gives us tea leaves to read for how they might respond to the Dobbs case. And of course, we we don't know for certain, but the fact that they did not intervene is absolutely good news for uh, pro-lifers and for unborn babies and does, does tell us something about how they might 
might respond to uh, to Dobbs. Obviously, after we uh, have the oral arguments, that'll definitely tell us a little bit more based off of some of the questions the justices ask and, and things like that. So the URLC has filed an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief in that case. And like I said, we will eagerly be tracking that. Well, and as Christians, we can continue to watch this. I think it's important. We continue to pray for these women, for these preborn baby lives. We can celebrate what has happened. And um, we just continue to watch and wait and pray and advocate. I think another thing that this drives home that Brett and I have been talking about on the podcast, and we've had articles up about this, is the importance of taking every step we can to bring an end to abortion which means to bring an end to the loss of these innocent lives. So every step is important. And this is an example of why that is. So moving on to our last story, uh, Hurricane Ida came ashore this week with fury. Um, It was downgraded from a hurricane to a tropical depression but it battered uh, Louisiana as a fierce Category 4 storm Sunday, leaving whole towns flooded along the coast and New Orleans still entirely in the dark. Almost a million customers remain without power in Louisiana, and over 14,000 remain without power in Mississippi as of Wednesday morning. Uh, there was a curfew that was go- that's been going into effect in that part of the world, so the National Guard can patrol the streets and seek to find people who need um, protection and care, and to and also uh, prevent people who would go out and loot stores or homes or things like that and take advantage of this tragedy. Four people have died as a result of Hurricane Ida, um, although the storm appears to be uh, less lethal than Hurricane Katrina, which hit as a Category 3, claiming 1,800 lives and causing more than a billion dollars in damage. Uh, one interesting uh, thing to note, Hurricane Ida crashed into uh, Louisiana and Mississippi almost on uh, the 20th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, which I just found very interesting. Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, Baptist Press notes that Send Relief, which is one of our sister entities, um, sent a semi-truck dropping off supplies in uh, Mississippi and Louisiana to support the recovery efforts of Southern Baptist Disaster Relief in response to the storm. Those supplies include meals, generators, rolls of temporary roofing, uh, and flood recovery supplies to aid those people. As then relief spokesperson told Baptist Press uh, that there are two sites expected to be up and running uh, today, both in Louisiana, and at least three more are expected to be operational by the end of the week, providing meals for survivors and serving as a hub for those efforts in the city and surrounding communities. As devastating as this hurricane is, I am so grateful for Southern Baptists churches who are there on the scene immediately to provide um, physical and tangible support and uh, show the love of Jesus to those people. My aunt actually had to evacuate from this, my aunt and cousin. And I saw a post that they were trying to make lemonade out of lemons playing in the hotel (laughs) pool with their little girl where wherever they evacuated to, but she's, my aunt has had to do this so many times and was really scared about this one. She's had to rebuild and has had damage from Katrina and other, other hurricanes. And so I'm, I'm thankful that it was less lethal, but I know 
that those people along that coast it just must feel like one thing after another, all the damage that has happened and and devastation. It's just, it's not so easily cleaned up from, you know? And it's actually gone up the coast and it's caused some historic flooding in the Northeast. I don't know if you saw on the news, but there was like in New York City, there's flooding. Yeah. My husband's brother lives there. We haven't heard from him, but there were pictures of of floodwaters pouring into the subway, which is just crazy. And we have some friends heading to New Jersey, and and there's flooding there and Philadelphia. And so this storm has just wreaked havoc on other places, not just there in Louisiana and on that coast. And because of that, I am thankful that we do have an amazing relief agency, an amazing sister entity that ministers to people and comes and meets real world needs in order to, you know, as we say, be the hands and feet of Jesus and in order to bring the gospel of Christ to these hurting individuals, to bring them physical hope and then to bring them spiritual hope as well. And to me, that's that's one of the beauties of being a Southern Baptist and the Southern Baptist Convention and the cooperative program that we're able to pool our resources together in order to meet needs like this and, and to provide real-time support in the midst of such tragedies. Absolutely. So, Lindsay, this is your look at This Week in Culture. And now it's time for The Lunchroom, where we tell you what we are talking about with each other. Chelsea, you get to join the lunchroom today, and uh, you are first up. Uh, So the thing I want to bring to the lunchroom is a tool by Michael Hyatt called the Full Focus Planner, and I love this planner. I've been through probably, I've used it for about two years, and I truly, I feel lost in my day if I don't have it with me or if I don't go through the kind of daily exercise of planning out my day. And I love all things organization and planners. And there's, I mean, there's a million different systems and everything out there, but I love the system. There's a daily page and there's a whole page for notes. And then there's like a weekly wrap up section that I I just, I love it. It does all the, takes all the guesswork out of planning and it's pretty which matters to me. And I just love it. So I thought I would recommend the full focus planner. I love it. It's pretty. <laughs> and it does it, it does matter to us, especially us females. Office ladies. Yes, us office ladies. <laughs> I love people who are planners. And I love that the full focus planner works for you. I dream of being a planner and using planners, but I never end up using them how they're supposed to be used. But I love, I like plans though. <laughs> so I'm definitely type A. I like plans. I can't, I don't know why I, yeah. I can't get it together when it comes to planners. But anyway, it's just interesting. You should give this yes. one a try. I should try it. I should <laughs> definitely try it. My planner is actually uh, oftentimes my Google Calendar and my tabs open in my on my computer. I have so many tabs <laughs> open. I've got recipes, I've got documents, I've got articles I want to read. So that's my functional planner. And it's not so pretty. (laughs) Well, what I wanted to bring to the lunchroom is uh, funny and gross all at the same time. So it is this, it's a, (laughs) I know where you're going with this. (laughs) It's a tweet that I saw and I posted it on in Slack and the humor channel. I was like, I don't even know if this is funny because it's gross. So Justin Taylor out of Crossway 
tweeted, uh, the commentary that went along with this tweet, and then I'll describe the picture, says this, some men see things as they are and ask why. I dream things that never were and ask why not. I'm assuming that's a quote from something that I don't know at this moment. But it's the picture of the back of this man's head. This man is is balding, so he has his head shaved. And in the back of his head, he has this mole. This sounds so gross. I can't believe I'm talking about it, but I would definitely talk about this at the lunchroom table. Uh, he has a mole there. So I guess instead of getting that mole removed, he just decided to get a tattoo, that that iconic Michael Jordan tattoo, you know, that shows him dunking, like he's jumping up in the air and about to dunk. So he's got the Michael Jordan tattoo so that it connects to that mole. And that mole is the ball that Michael Jordan is holding onto and it's going so for a dunk with. It's <laughs> disgusting. Uh, this is terrible. I this is just um stereotyping. I'm like, this man cannot be married because surely his wife would be like, or he doesn't have a girlfriend, because surely his wife would be like, please do not do that. Don't do just that. get rid of that. That is a terrible idea. I know that's what I would tell oh my, my husband. Goodness. So but at the same time, I wish I was just crazy enough and didn't care what people thought th- that I would do something like that. I think it'd be so interesting to be a tattoo artist and just see the crazy things people ask for. It's just like that. It's just the stories they I'm must I'm sure have. that they have amazing stories. I, I am too—proper is not the right word, but I can't— I don't want something to stick with me that long in case I change my mind. So I, I don't have a tattoo— but I like to think if I was going to get a tattoo, it might be something that creative. Chelsea's listeners can't see, but she was holding up her arm to show us. She's got herself one. She's got herself a tat. <laughs> two tats. <laughs> she held up a two. <laughs> there we go. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so there you go. I, I Hopefully you're not listening to the description of that while you're eating at your actual lunch table because it <laughs> might crush you out. <laughs> And that's a great way to wrap this podcast up. Just a reminder, you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes, though you might not want a link to see the picture of that Michael Jordan tattoo. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing this episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And as always, we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.